This is the Lazy Women Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Lazy Women Podcast. My name is Rebecca Dörfi. I'm the author of Natur Magazine. And, well, yeah, I'm just a wine girl. And today I have the utmost pleasure to talk to a dear friend and a fantastic winemaker, Katie Warabek, who works in the Jura under the name Miso Menad. So Katie, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So exciting. So just for those who kind of not familiar with the world of natural wine, if you want to just give us a little bit of a, an intro about yourself and what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, so I have a very small domain in the Jura in France. I farm three hectares organically. Um, I practice a lot of biodynamic principles. And then the wine I make, I don't know how basic of natural wine you want me to talk about, but basically the wine I make is natural wine. So I work without um, additives of any kind into the wine. So it's just like fermented grape juice. I'm originally Canadian. I guess I've been working in wine for uh, almost, almost 10 years now. And I've been in France for just over five Interesting. So you make wine without any of the nasty stuff. So for those who don't know what natural wine is or what conventional wine is, maybe we can cover this in another episode. We'll probably just drop it in the session notes if you're interested. But what I would like to ask you is, what's your story? How did you come to winemaking? You know, it's quite a journey from Canada to, to the Jura specifically, which is quite a remote region of France. And yeah, it would be interesting to learn more about just a condensed kind of last 10 years of your life. <laughs> <laughs> it is like a longer story. I'll try to like cold notes it for you. But I mean, I got into wine because I had always been interested in agriculture, but I had studied like going way back in grad school in Canada, I studied um, projects that were always interested in uh, small farmers, like subsistence farming and like the social, political, economic things that happen around small, small farmers and like that in the context of, at the time it was like context of globalization. So these were kind of questions in terms of like farming and social justice, ecological justice that really interests me. And I had taken a little break from grad school thinking I was going to go back. And I like started working in uh, hospitality. And I kind of just stuck with it. And this one, this is like a really sort of drawn out story, sorry, but this one restaurant I worked at, there was this crazy farmer that would come and he delivered all of his like organic veg on like Wednesday nights and he had this little system that he put into place where he dropped off his veg and he had given all the restaurants garbage bins and he would take away all the fresh compost for his pigs and then he would subsequently like feed those pigs to the restaurant and I just thought this was like a great like I'd never seen this before I was like this is cool I'm like I want to go learn about 
actual farming instead of just reading about it. And so I used to go on all my days off to this farm and learn about farming. Uh, it was all organic. And we did everything. He had animals. We did bees. He had a cow. Uh, his partner made cheese. Like it was just a really great place. And subsequently, so I was really in, I thought it was beautiful. I was really into the, this sort of like small scale farming. And, um, I had still kept working in hospitality. And I, my, one of my old bosses, you know, said to me, like, why don't you do our wine list? And like, I'll pay for you to do start the W, WSBT, like, you know, the level two, level three. And I thought, well, it's okay, I'm going to stay. I'm not going back to grad school at the moment. Still, like, thought about that. But I was like, okay, I'm going to learn about wine because I'm working in hospitality. And then I started learning about wine and wine making in the wine regions of the world. And um, I just wanted to learn about wine in the same way I had learned about gardening by just going to do it. And so I'd asked a friend who was a wine agent, like sell, was selling wine to me at the restaurant. If there was, I, we, I lived like maybe three hours away from the closest wine region in Canada. And um, he, I asked him, it was there somewhere I could go and just like volunteer and learn about winemaking. And he sent me to this, this winery and I drove out on all my days off again. And I did all kinds of little jobs. I helped them plant vines one weekend I worked on their tasting bar I would top the cellar with them just like whatever they needed a hand with and eventually um, I was offered a little part-time job there that kind of turned into a full-time job and I ended up staying there almost four years and when I left I was the assistant winemaker so that's my story of like getting into wine yeah, and then, but during this time, I had another friend uh, who was actually our friend in common, who's in Ibiza, um, would come every harvest and this summer as well with basically his car full of wine for us to to drink. It was really hard to find interesting wines in Ontario at this time. And I think still now it's it's hard if you go to the, um, it's, it's a monopoly, so you can only buy wines at the monopoly store, although that's changed since COVID. But in any case, he it was just it's, it was hard to find, you know, interesting wines to, on the shelves to buy. And he would come with all this wine and eventually it kind of turned into natural wine. And we would have big dinners in the cellar and all these sommeliers from Toronto and Montreal would bring these like super interesting bottles of wine. And I think once you start drinking natural wine, it was just so, for me, it was so, it was like a revelation. And I was just like, wow, I've never, it was so different from anything I had ever drank before in terms of wine. And it was just like alive, it was alive. And I was like, well, I, I want to, organics is really important to me. And this is the kind of wine that is really exciting. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do so um in 2017 i quit that job and i just sent out emails to people in france that i people i respected um wine growers wine makers and one of them that said i could come and work was at ganva in the jaha 
and I yeah I just went I spoke no French I had fr my friends write me e like the emails to them pretending I spoke French <laughs> and um, I just like arrived in the Jura for an adventure in wines and I didn't think I was going to stay I thought it was going to be six months and that I would go back to Canada to start a project in Canada and uh, it's now been it will be almost five it's almost five and a half years that i've been here now wow um that's quite a journey and uh since you i mean so many things um but uh what hit my ear really was uh, economic justice so perhaps since you're far more knowledgeable about this than i am and you know i just wanted to ask that do you think that the wine world could ever be or ever achieve economic justice? Is that something, because obviously it means that is the idea of, you know, if economy is more successful, if it's fairer, if it's more inclusive, do, do you see that's happening in wine? Just a little sidetrack from the glamorous world of making wine. Yeah, so I mean, I think that the things that I spoke about were like social justice and ecological justice in, in terms of, um, you know, human, like rights based approaches to things. But um, I think that, um, I mean, for me, like big picture, we live in capitalism. And I think that's like inherently problematic for any sort of like, you know, pursuit of justice in in any form. But I also do think that the ethos of natural wine um it's trying to make a space for more fairness distribution uh space for um underrepresented people i don't know that that happened today but i think that like the language and the feeling of natural wine is that it has more of a space for that than what i want to say is like classic wine which feels like very in a general sense not all of it, of course, like wine is still just a, a, a beverage that was also drank by, you know, like normal peasant people. But I feel a lot of the world of wine is a, is a luxury product that has been like a bit elitist and classist. And I'm not saying that natural wine exists outside of that. And I think that is one big problem that people are speaking about now with natural wine. But I do think that there is space in the orbit of natural wine to have more conversations about those things. So I think maybe that lends itself to possibility for change. And do you think this um, kind of relies on on people, not not just like you, but people who farm independently or trying to um, make the most of their land, whether, you know, whether it comes to farming or making wine in the cellar, just because I guess we can keep having a lot of conversations, but if if we only open up space for like larger producers or people who have a bigger voice always, then I don't think we we hear everybody in this little orbit of um, of the industry, so to say. So I guess my question is if we need the natural wine world would need more entrepreneurs. I don't like this word, but <laughs> um, I also don't like self-employed people. So I'm trying to find the best, the best word to, uh, to, to cover this. But I guess my question is that, do you think we need more people to work independently and then in a community together as like small little 
pieces of one big puzzle? I mean, I guess two things when you ask that question come to mind is that one, being in natural wine, I do feel we see a lot of the little producers like out at salons and there's like tons of little off salons where you can find um, really, maybe not everyone, like certainly it's not easy to always be seen, but I feel at the same time, in natural wine, like everyone's kind of looking for like the newest, hottest thing sometimes. Um, and then too, I don't know, you necessarily have to be entrepreneurial or work only for yourself to change like labor practices. I think it could also come from a larger space, but I think people have to be, there has to be like action on it, I guess. So if that means that, oh, I'm an entrepreneur and I want to, you know, do something in line with my values and to produce change, that's fine. But I think it could also come as a group in collaboration. I think it has to as well come and come or change can, can, form in many different ways I think uh what maybe unrelated to exactly what you're talking about but when you're talking about access to winemaking to becoming a winemaker access to land and to farming certainly when things are when those like when land is concentrated and not available for young people or people with less means like that's problematic i do appreciate that in france that it doesn't exist in canada that i'm aware of that there is a system in place to protect agricultural land and ideally the priority goes to the youngest with the least amount of land that doesn't always happen and people can kind of skirt around the rules and you see land prices go way up in places like you know like burgundy for instance but I do appreciate that there is already like a top-down mechanism that is supposed to protect the land for like for the younger people, the next generation. Okay. I see. Yeah, that's that's interesting to to hear. I guess like tradition in the sense of like passing down knowledge and innovation. I think that we they can cohabit in any kind of environment. But I just. Um, I feel like it's it needs to come together as a community. I, I always talk a lot about community and um, maybe that's the next question here is that do you feel that in natural wine there is a community that you can rely on um, since you know most people work alone or as a couple um, there's a lot of wine fairs, a lot of things happening. So, you know, we all need a little support system, whether it's for our, you know, business or mental well-being or health. Um, and I, I feel like that can, can also derive from the community, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. I think it's like, it's not a complicated question, but I could answer it from different points of view. Like one, I'm really new on the scene, if you will, of natural wine. So I have, and I live in like a tiny remote village. So I feel maybe I'm not the best place to talk about uh, the history of natural wine and its community, but I certainly feel there is one. And I feel there is like, uh, some sort of connection between people that like natural wine as well. You know, like when you go to a wine fair, it's a lot of fun. You know, people are there to just like 
for joy and alcohol, but for joy of like this product, you know, it feels totally different than going to what I would call like a, you know, when I used to first started buying wine, I would go to like traditional wine tastings, like going to a natural wine salon feels completely different. And it's based around people coming together and sharing. Um, that's what I feel anyways, like on a personal level, I, I do think there's like space for more. I do feel that people also get really connected through social media. I think that's a huge thing for natural wine. And I've met tons of people through that in the wine world and even have people that I know that we like bounce questions off each other, but I've never actually met them so, like other producers, other people, you know, I think that's really interesting. So there's this like extended community based on social media, I think is really interesting. I mean, that's not like unique to natural wine, but then I also think that for me, like what interests me in winemaking, like on a personal intellectual like moral level I don't say moral but like on a spiritual level if you will are these questions of justice of human rights of like access of talking about women and wine of talking about people of color and wine talking about prejudice misogyny like all these questions I think that we could be better at having space to talk about them and I think that you know the restaurant industry has gone through a big awakening and I think the wine industry is so closely tied to the restaurant industry and maybe now it's slowly happening in wine this sort of me too but it, it doesn't have to be exclusively like a hopefully it's not exclusively a me too sort of movement I also would like to see more advocacy I guess for for, for people in, within the wine world. Do you think Europe is also going through that? I mean, I see slow changes, but yeah, um, you know, I feel like, the, as you said, the restaurant industry is insanely close to, to wine or, or anything else, really. And we saw all the changes in the US and Canada, like uh, things are coming out, um, people are changing, the wine programs are changing, I know also the access as well, which is great to see, but um, do you feel that that it's also on a, on a kind of upper curve in, in Europe or do we need to still work on some stuff to, to, to slowly arrive there? I... I mean, I can't say for all of you, but I also I live in such um, a specific like bubble. Of, I live in a small like and I just see my day to day, you know, it's in the small agricultural rural place of France. Like I can speak to what I feel or what my, you know, daily experiences like for sure it needs to change, but not change, but it can grow. But I don't know if I would feel the same about that. Like, I don't feel as connected personally to what's happening in, like, downtown Barcelona or, like, in, in Paris. You know I mean? Like I, sh like, I think there's so much nuance there that I can't speak to. So, and also I'm a Canadian. Like, I feel, you know, I have been in Europe for five years. So that's just like a blink. You know, there's so much cultural also nuance that I, I probably... I think that would be a, it's just like a difficult thing for me to answer because I don't feel so entrenched into that world culturally or just by like my day to day life in Orbania.
yeah. Um, but speaking of culture, um, and you you brought this up, you know, it's it must have been a big change to come from working in a busy city in a restaurant and then a farm, um, coming to France, working for a winemaker, and then starting eventually starting your own business and kind of being a one woman show. So do, do you feel that, that how, how do you feel that change kind of affected you or do you, do you feel at all? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it just necessary? Oh, um, it's good and bad. And I think for me, it's necessary. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it was, there, there was so many difficulties in terms of, I mean, it was very hard, but it was also wonderful. When I first came here, I mean, not speaking the language, not communicating with people. I mean, no one spoke English where I was, right? So it was like very, you know, the first six months were really lonely. But also I had such an incredibly warm welcome from the Ganvas. Like they treated me like I was in their family. They invited me out to dinner, to lunches. I went on family vacations. Like they were so hospitable to me that it was easy as well. Um, there have been so many hilarious Anglophone North American moments I've had in France. And I've been lucky that I have a, a good a, a close friend who is that sort of in the same boat like came to France from Toronto the year before me so it's been extremely helpful just in terms of morale to share these hilarious French moments with someone who's like understands you know you feel seen a little bit and also I think I mean the reality is If you want to work in agriculture, not all of it, but certainly having a small project of vines is inherently a little bit lonely. And I think that you have to be okay with that. And I'm just, I'm wired like that. I'm really happy to have no stress days on my little mountain with my vines. Like it gives me such joy. And I think at the beginning, I was very worried that I would be quite lonely. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm just gonna die alone in this like village. But now I I see there's so many people that are also excited about this project. People come for tastings all the time. And, you know, as time goes, it takes a little bit of, of time also when you're older to meet people and connect with them. But now I feel like more and more I've connected with like really wonderful people. Also, COVID, I don't mean to, I know that COVID was a time of isolation, but it really let me like reconnect with people I'm very close with. Whereas before, I think I would connect more with just the people in my periphery, immediate periphery. But then during COVID, you couldn't see anyone. So it was like a more of a reconnection with like older friendships that I now like continue forward. So I, I feel, yeah, I just, I feel really lucky honestly, that I get to both have this side of me that really enjoys a bit of the solitude in nature, but then also when I need to connect with people, it's, it feels easy to, it's technology, I guess, as well, a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah, I also believe that, you know, we can thank a lot to technology. Also, you know, it does take away um, from our lives, but definitely the social part of it that also helped me a lot. Um, yeah, I do feel there's a difference. So of course, like seeing people in per like it's totally different seeing people in person, but just continuing like important friendships, you know, it's great. And that is one thing about this small village, I think is sort of 
a dichotomy that it is on one hand tiny and everyone knows your business um from afar and like i'm the kind of outside i think i'll always be the outsider even if i live here my whole life right but at the same time i feel that you know whenever i need something people are there and i can depend on them which i think is a is a beautiful feeling too which maybe in the city i maybe feel less of even though there's more people you can feel less connected to to them i don't know yeah, I definitely thought about two things of your, when you were talking about it. One is that um, your French moments, and I think even as a European, when you go to France, you have these French moments and you're like, what is happening to me? Um, whether so many you know, French whether... moments. <laughs> so many French yeah. moments. So, you know, nobody's alone with that unless you're French, but I, I'm pretty sure even French the people French, also the have French moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Lo- it's like the there's joie de vivre is to have French moments I'm like oh, unbelievable. Can't believe this happened to me today. But then they're really happy to have something like to complain about. So Oh, of I course. That's friend. natural. I do too. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Uh, please, French people listening, don't get offended. We do love you. Oh, um, I love French people. But <laughs> so do I. You know, one of my favorite stories is that I took some friends to a great restaurant here in Barcelona sat there eating saying nothing just like making noises and then one of them went to the toilet and he asked the other one like closer a little closer so i'm like is everything okay like i i honestly think this is one of the nicest restaurants in the city great wine list whatever and it's like she's like no oh my god he loves it here food's great he's been like having a good time i'm like you guys were just making noises the whole dinner, like nothing like, hey, it's nice or, you know, thank you so much. No, just like grunts and noises. And then that's when I realized that if they say something during the meal or express that it's lovely, then perhaps it's not the best meal they had. So, I mean, maybe it's a very specific pair of French, but it was it was really a good funny. sign of like a sign of a good meal though no when everyone's silent because they're so in i mean obviously not as like a huge dinner party but they're so <laughs> into their meal that they don't have you know they're like focused yeah. on how delicious it is which is which is very um admirable because you know it's um yeah i, I feel like i always spend so much time with my phone or eating and watching something or on my phone while I'm eating. So it's it's almost like unusual to me, which is my, you know, I don't know, I guess it, it reflects bad on me in a little way that, you know, it's my bad that I'm, I wasn't used to just like 1000% always being focused on food, which is ultimately a very amazing thing. Um, but we touched a little bit upon loneliness which is not necessarily a bad thing and community which could also be you know a gift and a curse uh at the same time you know as you mentioned everybody knows your business but if you really need something they are 100 there for you so i guess my next question is and what i'm wondering about is how do you stay balanced when you know, you live in a remote area of France. Um, as you said, you um, you currently live alone as a woman in a remote this remote village, and you know you're running your own business, which is not just kind of accounting or finances or selling wine, but actually farming, um, maintaining buildings, equipment, making wine. 
and doing all the other things around um, the winery. So what's balance for you in a, the broadest or the smallest sense? So this year I am really trying to, what I would call like protect my energy in a way to have enough energy to do my job. And I feel, so when I say that it's lonely, like I don't, I feel the opposite actually. I feel that I I have too many obligations often. And during the growing season this year, I'm really trying to cut back on tastings during the growing season, which is difficult. It's really hard to say no. Like I don't enjoy saying no to people because I know what it's like to like, travel all the way to a, a wine region and try to make appointments and see people but it's just what ends up happening is because I'm all alone I work during again this is specific to the growing season then I'm all day in the vines and then I come home and then it's a tasting in the evening and then at the end of the day I've just worked like 16 18 hours and I don't I just like go to bed you know there's no time there's no time for life or or there's no time for me there's no time so I'm really so that's what I say when I'm trying to protect my energy is um really listening to myself so a big part of that is like fitness and eating well and because my my, my the job is hugely physical and it doesn't mean that you have to be insanely strong it just means that I have to be healthy and that you know if I'm not healthy that like the winery doesn't no one no one else is there doing the work so I'm really trying to I go to the gym I try to do meditation I'm trying to eat really well um I've had a lot of conversations this year about alcohol consumption which I can get into after but then also I'm trying to at the same time, when I say I have too much to do, I'm trying to work less. And I just feel that my entire life, which, you know, I'm not old by any means, but my entire like working life, I just feel has been like 110%. Like I was at a, you know, since, you know, even just when I was in school, it was like really had to be great at school. I was really into school. And then when I worked in the winery, I mean, just, I think a huge part of it was being a woman in wine and that I felt I still feel that women often have to work. I feel like in my experience, and those to speak from my own experience, that I felt like I had to work like twice as hard just to be taken seriously, you know? And I don't, it's like you have to explain why you can be taken seriously and then you can also do your job, you know? So I have to, and I just, it was just always so much work. And then there's obviously harvest, which is uh, for everyone an insane time. So I'm really trying to, again, this like protecting back to being balanced, the protecting of energy. It's like, I want to have the, like part of saying no is to have the energy to do the job that I want to do really well, um, because I, I do want to do the best that I can. But at the same time, I don't want to work all the time. You know, I want to have the freedom to read or go see friends or take half a day off or whatever it is that I need. I just don't want to come arrive, you know, when I'm 65 and just have only gone 110% and not done anything else. So the balance for me is like literally finding balance between work and health and 
also time off. But I also will say that I, I love the work I do. It doesn't feel like going to work every day. You know, it's a joy for me to go in the vines. I'm so lucky to have that the plot that I have. But um, yeah, just trying to enjoy other things as well. And of course, you know, um, in the world world of wine, I guess everybody sees the glam, right? Like you go into the tastings, it looks so good and it looks so pretty on Instagram and everybody's having the best time. And it's always just having drinks and having this profound experience. So it's, I guess a lot of people see that when they, if they're not it, not making wine or they're just starting to, to, to get into it, uh, you know, it can often seem misleading that it's all about just these parties and seeing people and being around people which can also you know it can also take a toll on our mental health um and you know our well-being in general you can't be as you said you can't be 110 percent all the time and it's it's such a old analogy and a an often used one but i love this oxygen mask thing on the on the airplane and you know they always tell you yours first you need to be okay you need to be like balanced you need to have the oxygen flowing so you can actually do something else or help another person or you know move a little further because otherwise you you're always 110 percent suffocating and not paying attention what's really happening in birth so i just think also like women i mean i'm not a man so i can't speak for men but i i do think women are socialized to do more of this constant work and it's not just your job you often you know like I personally don't have children but there you know if I was a I can I find it so difficult to imagine doing what I'm doing and also have a child like multiple children to raise and also like I can you know I'm like really happy when I do my own laundry and clean the house on the side you know like that little bit of domestic labor in terms of like what moms take on i just think that women it's my feeling women work at 110 percent, even if it's not specific at their day job they're just like there's a lot of work being done emotional work physical work domestic work that i think adds to you know when we talk about balance i think a lot of women aren't balanced in that way you know like we take on a lot on our plate I can definitely relate to that, uh, especially the emotional part. Like I think sometimes I'm just looking at my workload and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And really, uh, I think half of the things that I think are not even real. I just imagine that this is a scenario. If I do this, then that, you know, kind of like a chessboard. Like I think like 45 steps ahead and I, you know, even forget to do what I do because it's just, yeah, it's a lot of emotions, a lot of uh, stress from trying to perform, trying to perform exceptionally well, um, and also taking care of yourself. And, you know, for some people, it's other people. For uh, for other individuals, it's just doing basic stuff around the house, which is not so basic, right? Like, I think, as you said, being a mom or taking care of a household is a full-time job on its own. And on top of that, if you if you're a winemaker or have a different kind of job that's just you know working like two three full time jobs like constantly, uh, it's hard to step away from it. Maybe wanted to touch upon the alcohol consumption, which started to interest me more and more these these days. Uh, I mean, I I do love wine, 
I don't need to drink too much of it, but it's really uh, such an amazing creation if it's done well. It's very enjoyable, but uh, you know, um, part of balance is that to to kind of draw the line somewhere. And I guess maybe you can speak more to that and how how you can make it work as a winemaker, as a person who works in this industry. You know, your whole life is wine or your whole professional uh, life at the moment. So. So, yeah, I don't know if I have the answer to that specifically, but it's some it's it's like the question that I also um, it's not my central question, but it is a question that I think of a lot, uh, a lot more recently as well. Um, I would say, first of all, like, I don't want to make any normative judgments on, on like however anyone wants to live their life. Like if people like there's so many people that have like great joy from wine and sharing wine with people with friends and drinking and getting drunk and like those are all really fun parts of the wine world as well but I just I think the reality is like alcohol as a molecule is like not good for your body for your mental and that affects your mental health in all kinds of ways you know I'm also not a doctor but I can only speak how recently I feel when I like, I guess also I'm getting older and like having a big night of like wine drinking really affect like what's affecting me more and more, you know, that's not surprising. And now I basically am almost not drinking anything. And I feel just, I mean, I feel just amazing, but just very specifically like the quality of your sleep. And that's the one thing, again, back to my like protecting my energy. It's like, when I wake up in the morning, not having alcohol, at least, you know, for a day or two, the the quality of my sleep is completely different. And that affects what I can do in the day and how I feel about that as well. Like just how I feel about the day and myself and my body and my health. And But I just find it also really, it's a really complicated position to be in because I love, I still love wine. I still enjoy drinking wine. I do still drink wine. Um, but it's sort of, it feels sort of hypocritical to be like, well, it's not good for you, but I'm going to make it and I'd like you to buy it and drink it, you know? So it's like a very complicated question. And I think I feel with the conversations I've had with people who are North American, I do feel in North America, there's more of an openness about alcoholism and especially in the restaurant industry over the past few years about people um becoming sober and i think it feels to me that there's more support and openness in north america around those conversations than in europe and i know that just drinking in general is more part of the the culture especially wine in europe which is on one hand wonderful because there's such as like love of wine but then on the other hand i think makes those conversations about being sober or not difficult so I don't have like any answers I just have questions and I have like I'm open to having conversations with people I'm experimenting with myself what feels good um you know when people come here I'll share a bottle of wine with them you know just the other night I had a friend over we had we had an entire bottle of wine between the two of us you know on a Tuesday night but you know it was fun we were and we were talking and we really enjoyed that bottle of wine but at the same time, I would say I know that alcohol 
not good for you. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a complicated thing, and I'm figuring out what's good for me. And I think everyone needs to do that for themselves. But certainly, there could be more. Um, I think within the wine world, there could be more discussion about a uh, healthy consumption of alcohol. Well, um, I will try to be on top of that. Let's see. <laughs> I would love <laughs> to. I would love to continue this conversation because I think it's insanely important that, um, and for me, also bringing back this protecting your energy and and things like that. It's not just through people. It's also through things that you consume, whether it's food, um, wine, you know, the your quality of life is, as you said, hugely dependent on your sleep quality, which is insanely important. And also the quality of food you eat and the, the wine you drink. So I, I also think it ultimately or whatever else you drink, but we are talking about wine here. Um, but what I think is that, um, as you said, everybody needs to experiment a little bit, what feels good for them. And often a bottle of wine can feel, you know, really intoxicating and too much and uh, can take you over. And then I, I also sometimes feel like that my energy is gone and sometimes it gives you something else on a on a friendship level, on an intellectual level, a spiritual level. Hello, ladies. I'm Lucy, and I'm speaking to you from Florence in Italy. To be honest, wine has been a truly important factor in my life, and also probably one of its only constants, actually. For me, it represents these magic moments, you know, bringing together family and friends, or a late night source of inspiration from my writing projects or some other creative outlets, but also an opportunity for calm mindfulness. You know, just imagine watching people wandering around under the late spring sun while my taste buds are inquisitively exploring this outburst of flavor and deliciousness. Peddling between five different countries in the past 10 years, four years ago, I finally settled down in the country of my dreams and, as it happens, also in my favorite wine region, Tuscany. Be it the deep purple color of Nobile, a golden horse on my favorite bottle of Morellino, or the volcanic soil of Monte Cucco, with every sip, I'm reminded I chose well and that my new home is here to welcome me with open arms. However, my favorite wine memory is forever based a little more south, standing near one of the craters of Etna in Sicily, with thousands of small vineyards covering the mountain trunk below, I try to take in the beauty and the fertility, but also the deadly powers of this ancient volcano while celebrating all the amazing wine and food that it helps to produce, but also all the love that it helps to consolidate. Because this isn't just a normal late summer vacation, it is our honeymoon. And I'm standing here at this marvel of the world, not alone, but with the love of my life that I have just said my yes to. And we're about to descend into one of the vineyards below to taste even more of these gifts of nature, a memory just as fresh now as it was eight months ago when we were there. So I guess ultimately, my passion for wine isn't just about drinking. 
It's about making memories, about sharing, but also about a deep reflection. But mainly, it's about the people accompanying me during these moments. Hi, it's Aisha. I enjoy wine, but I think I'm not a wine person, so I will not uh, share my taste or, or technical things in this topic. But I was still thinking about how can I share my experience about wine. And the first thing came to my mind was wine is somehow marketed with romantic relationships like candles, dates, and uh, the female friendship, uh, perhaps not the first thing that came to mind in this sense. Uh, but my favorite wine memories are in romantic dates, actually. When I think of a memory accompanied by wine, it's cozy and comfortable atmosphere, laughing and catching up with my female friends at home. This ritual means a safe space to share our thoughts and feelings without judgment from me. Of course, the beverage can change, but uh, despite the culture that claims the most intimate memories and special evenings are in romantic relationships, it's great to toss to your female friends. Hi, this is Lauren and I'm based in London and I really enjoy a glass of red wine. I don't drink a lot of white or rosé, although I am still trying to expand my palate into these areas and uh, try in different flavours and textures. So if you do have any recommendations for your favourite whites and rosés, do send them my way. Uh, but otherwise, my usual go-to red would be a Malbec. And I find wine a really uh, nice tool of, of connection, I guess, especially with friends or family sat around a dinner table together where maybe you're eating kind of different foods at a restaurant, but everybody's kind of uh, circled around one bottle of wine that you might be sharing, discussing the tastes, discussing how it pairs with the meal that you're having. Um, it's a really nice way to add to the experience that you're enjoying together and learning about how each other appreciates drinking a glass of wine. And if you're ever in town, if you're ever in London, I'd like to give a shout out to a French wine bar called Lady of the Grapes, which does a fantastic job of supporting women winemakers. So do check it out. Oh yeah, I mean, I think wine is incredible, this incredible thing that is not, it is just a beverage, but it also, there's all these social uh, layers to it that I think are so beautiful, like sharing wine with people, it's festive, it's celebratory, it's, uh, you know, now more and more you hear the stories of who produced it, like it's such an interesting thing. So it is just a beverage, but then it's much more, and that's a beautiful part of wine. But I think just for me, it's like important to, in a sense, protect my relationship with wine because it is my whole life and I want it to be my whole life and I love it. And I love making wine. I love sharing it with people. I love it, how excited people are about the wines from here. Like, I think, again, I'm so lucky. So and when I say protecting my energy, it's because I want to have energy to engage in that way. It's not like I want to be 
protective with a wall. It's just, I want to have good energy to give people. I want when people come here that I give them my best self and that I give myself my best self and that every day when I'm in the vines, it's good vibes. Because I think all of those things add up together and are part of the energy of what you're drinking in the bottle as well, you know? Exactly. No, 100%, I think. Um, a conversation that I want to strike up or I keep trying to to strike up is to how winemakers or how we can work on ourselves so the things that we create can also reflect on that. Because you can try to create good things, but then when you're stuck or there's something inside that needs to be addressed, it's really hard to show up and create um, the best version of 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 you and what you what you're working on. So I totally agree with the vibes. And I think um, if anyone has ever had a glass of Maison Menade um, wine from Katie will agree with me. Um, I think we're at time. Uh, unfortunately, I would love to keep going so with quick. this conversation. Yeah, I know. Next time. Part, part two <laughs> part, and part, part three. Two. <laughs> yeah. uh, for sure. Thank you so but, much. But yeah, it was it was amazing. Maybe one last thing that if anyone, uh, if any girls, women, ladies are crazy enough to, um, you know, start pivoting into the wine industry or want to become a winemaker, what's the one advice <laughs> that you would uh, want to pass on or just do it? <laughs> I think, I mean, not to just simplify it, but just do it. And there's always, you know, for everyone, no matter what you're doing, there's always challenges and it'll be, you know, everyone's path will be completely unique. So I can't, I don't feel equipped to like give specific advice on that, but I think just doing it and um, having confidence in yourself that you are a winemaker that you, you know, even if it means just faking it until you make it like just, giving yourself that inner vo voice, if you will, that you are worthy of being where you are and that uh, just do it, you know, totally. Amazing. Thank you so much, Katie. It was amazing to chat with you. I'll see you soon. See you soon. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>